Happy New Year! Wishing you all health, love and joy in every moment, and may you feel love and respect towards all beings on this wonderful planet. I've spent fantastic quality time with loved ones over break, and today I'm heading down under with an exemption permission. Let's go 2022! Let's go, 2022. I cannot believe that this happened this year. (laughs) That it's not even been 12 months since we went through that debacle. If you didn't recognize it, that was probably the most consequential tweet in tennis history. In tennis history. Not I made you? That was a good one. But I'm talking about consequence. The fact that... Novak Djokovic tweeted this before boarding a plane to Melbourne, Australia. As soon as he got off the plane, was detained, spent a day almost in the airport. His visa was cancelled, and then you know the rest. Well, part of the rest is that he he spent the rest of the year trying to play martyr when in fact he was a menace. (laughs) Anywho. Welcome back to The Body Serve. I'm James. I'm Jonathan. We are so close to the end of the year. We're presenting our ATP wrap today. We're going to take a more unconventional approach to this wrap versus the WTA. As you know, we are probably a more WTA-centric podcast uh, by design, but we still follow men's tennis. We still enjoy men's tennis, but we keep it at a respectful and suspicious distance. I don't know what all that was. But what you meant to say was, we care less about men's tennis. We have a more hands-off approach to men's tennis. We are messier with men's tennis. We Mm. consider those men's feelings less with men's tennis. (laughs) And so this will be a messier show in agenda, in format, just all around. Okay. Before we get into the wrap, just a quick update on our GoFundMe We launched a fundraising drive last week, right before Thanksgiving in the U.S., and thanks to to you all so much, we've we've exceeded 50% of our goal already. We so appreciate it, and we're still going. If you'd like to contribute, you can find the GoFundMe on our Linktree, which is linktree.com slash thebodyserve. You can find it through our Twitter, Instagram, any of our socials. And on Twitter yesterday, I shared some other worthy causes that we have supported in the past. And I encourage you to look on the BodySurf Twitter for those causes and consider donating to them as well. In keeping with the cold open of this episode, let's start with men behaving badly. Over the years, people have asked us to compile like uh, an official list of bad actors or ATP players who've acted out. And we've not done that because we don't want to be put on a blacklist or a watch list in the tennis community. Um, it's a little too much documentation for my taste. You said compile there. That's a verb, right? What would it, be the noun version of that word? Compilation. <laughs> Jonathan is making fun of me because I, I can't say the word compilation. I still 
yesterday I looked at it and pronounced it wrong in my head. How did you pronounce when you're, it? When you read, do you have like an inner monologue saying the words in your head? Oh, absolutely. Okay, okay. I, was, I wasn't sure if I was like... Saying them correctly. Well, that's a word my brain, my inner monologue stumbles So you're not going to let the over. listeners know how you say I it? I said compilation. Compilation. <laughs> so I can't even say it the wrong way the right way. <laughs> anyway, let's have some fun with some of these men's tennis players because they were acting out. I don't know if it was the COVID break, if it was being unleashed from lockdowns and vaccination requirements and testing, but they were really wild. There was some truly abhorrent behavior this year. We asked for some suggestions, some submissions, and you all came through as usual. The first one, who was mercifully absent from the second half of the year, that guy, Zverev, a big popular submission was his behavior in Acapulco. You might remember in a doubles match with Marcelo Melo, he... A doubles match. A doubles match in Acapulco. Mm -hmm. He attacked the chair while the umpire was still in it with his racket. Went back again and grazed the umpire's foot with the second blow and then paused and then went back again. This is after calling the umpire a fucking idiot toward the end of the match. What really puts this one over the top for me is that he took his destroyed racket and gave it out as a souvenir to a fan like a total psychopath. Mm. Say more. I just wanted to say more. (laughs) Do more. Be more Uh, messy. (laughs) I called him a psychopath. That wasn't enough? (laughs) No, I want more. I mean, this kind of behavior in a doubles match, that didn't really matter. He was still in the singles draw in Acapulco, but that was next. He was defaulted from the entire tournament, fined $40,000, and then there was an investigation, which happened much quicker than the other larger investigation based on his off-court behavior. This behavior happened while he knows that the scrutiny of the tennis world, at the very least tennis Twitter, is squarely on him and how he's comporting himself. Right. So far, it really hasn't had any consequences or effect uh, aside from removing the offending articles from German websites. And uh, unfortunately for him, he must have been on the sidelines recovering from that ankle break. I'm assuming being livid with watching subsequent generations just walk on by. <laughs> watching a little kid, Carlos Alcaraz, win his first major. And then a little brat, Holgarun, just speed, 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 roadrunner his way to the end of the ATP season. Yep, beating a murderer's row to win the Paris Masters. Rafa Nadal taking the Roland Garros title again when Zverev felt he had a real chance in that semifinal. Uh, It was a lot of watching. And he will be doing a lot of watching Netflix next year. Mm. But he won't be on it. Well, he may have a little bit role. He may be a, a guest star. I don't know, but he's not a main character. Mm-hmm. He'll be like Alexander Zverev, friend of the show. <laughs> <laughs> He'll be campaigning for his peach for next season, or his snowflake. <laughs> well, for his snowflake. I think that's that's what he'll be looking for. So that behavior in Acapulco was investigated. The ATP issued an eight-week suspension and an additional $25,000 fine. But wait, the suspension and fine were suspended. 
if he got his act together and didn't offend again, those would be revoked. You hinted at one of the most hilarious moments of the season and you didn't get into it. You just went yes. right past it. What is what is that? Since you got to read the Novak tweet, I'd like to read this one if that's okay. I feel like this is a joint effort because there are three different characters in this mini play. At the Australian Open, it became apparent that there were TV cameras following around certain players. And then we were made aware that Netflix was beginning a docuseries similar to the one that they did with Formula One. And they were targeting specific players to sort of craft stories around. In a press conference in Australia, Alexander was asked, You haven't done any filming personally with Netflix? I've been doing filming for myself personally, but no, not with Netflix. I think nobody has yet because nobody knew about it. They have. They have? Who? With what? I will tell you later. The moderator had to cut in and say, yes, they have, and we'll talk about it offline because this is getting a little bit embarrassing. It's like, it's it's okay, sweetie. We'll talk about it in a bit. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It, just a lot, of, a lot of heartache for him, but still no results to that investigation into the abuse allegations against him. And we assume he'll be back soon. He's expected to play in an exhibition soon. Of course, the other main character who you'd expect to be mentioned quite a bit in terms of the men behaving badly, Nick Kyrgios. And he shone brightly in that regard this year. It, it was a five-act play. In Australia, en route to winning the doubles title with his friend Kalkanakis, he hit a ball into the stands, which actually hit somebody. And I guess that's okay. There are there are all these arcane rules about what happens when you hit a ball in the, into the stands, and if it hits somebody, were they uh, like gravely injured or not? But I have rarely seen a default for these sorts of things. This was maybe the year of the attack on the umpire, verbal and physical. Yeah. And what was a common thread was all of these men are out here saying, do your job, do your job. You got one job. Can't even do your one job. Why don't you do your job? And then when they do their job, but it's not to their liking, I mean, it's... Mm -hmm. Tennis's response has mainly been to remove those people completely, except for the chair umpire. At Indian Wells, after losing a long match to Rafa Nadal, Nick chucked a racket across the court. He was by his chair, mm -hmm. and he just turned around and smashed it into the ground, like a few feet in front of him, and it careened forward into the backstop the back of the court, where the ball kid was. And he had to dodge to get out of the way. Like George W. Bush dodging that shoe. Yes, exactly that. Now, had he hit the ball kid, I don't know what would have happened. The match was already over. I assume they would have levied a fine. But Nick did this whole performative Instagram video giving the kid a new racket for free, like we're supposed to be moved. Now at Wimbledon, this was the big one. The match versus Tsitsipas, neither of them behaved admirably. Tsitsipas smashed the ball into the stands. Nothing happened because apparently it didn't hit a person. Nick screamed about how that should be a default, couldn't let it go. And he said, if I had done something like that, I would be banned. And Maury said that was a lie because you did do something like that at Australia and you actually connected with a person and you didn't get defaulted. So please, there are a lot of instances of Nick you know, messing with players' towels, especially with Rafa, these childish mind games, complaining, 
constantly about the crowd to the umpires. Uh, and through all of this, we were getting a constant redemption arc, right? Nick is finally taking the sport seriously. And he played it up as well. Absolutely. He'd given no indication that he wanted to, quote unquote, take his career seriously, as has been prescribed by every tennis commentator in history, until he caught a case. And we've seen the playbook for men who are in this situation is to rely on their success as a fallback to make them impregnable. Right. And to be fair, I think we were seeing this steady narrative throughout the season, starting with his first major title in doubles at the Australian Open. And really the arc was, oh, Nick Kyrgios is actually playing tournaments. And he's actually beating some people that he should beat, that he's talented enough to beat, right? He's talented. That's all we hear is the many, many physical gifts that he has on the tennis court. And this culminated at Wimbledon, where he reached the final, gave Novak Djokovic a really good fight. And this was in the midst of him being summoned to an Australian court to stand to possible charges of domestic violence. He hasn't actually appeared in court yet. It's been adjourned a few times. But nary a mention from any of the commentators, from most of the writers covering the sport, that wasn't the story, right? The story was Kyrgios' redemption, him finally taking his career seriously and fulfilling these prodigious gifts that he has. It's just like tennis doesn't learn anything. No, because you have this built-in protection. Right. It's a feature, Mm -hmm. not a bug, right? To ignore those off-court things, especially if they're embarrassing or uncomfortable Let me just shut up and dribble for a while, and that will placate everybody. Right. We got a number of submissions uh, uh, about this topic. Daydreamer Oz replied, Craig effing Tylee. And I want to provide a reminder about what happened with Craig Tylee at the Australian Mm -hmm. Open, because he was a, a major player in what happened with Novak Djokovic's visa being canceled. A menace. Another menace. Oh, uh, so... Obviously, the Australian Open and Tennis Australia was negotiating with the government about how to get players to Australia because there had been very severe lockdowns in the country. It was just very slowly opening up to athletes, and they still had a vaccination requirement. Tylee knows that the, what, the nine-time Australian Open champion was vocally against vaccination. He wanted to get Novak here, Mm -hmm. and reportedly, they were also personal friends. Mm-hmm. But also, Novak, Novak had stated throughout, this is my choice, my body, I'll accept the consequences, I know what I'm doing, I'm not going to be forced to take a vaccine just to play tennis. May the cards fall where they may. Yes, but his actions didn't reflect what he was saying. It was Right, he was still trying to deal those cards. Yes. Craig Tiley was had been pleading with the Australian government throughout the fall to allow exemptions for athletes especially those with recent COVID infections. This is in November. (laughs) He was told explicitly in writing, no, that will not be a reason for an exemption in November. He claims that he didn't receive that. Tennis Australia didn't get that letter. Now, he was also speaking with the Victoria state government, who he said could provide exemptions that would allow Novak in. But the Victoria state government could only allow exemptions to compete. They have no jurisdiction over immigration, which is a federal issue. So I understand, like, everybody made huge errors here. Mm -hmm. There was a political element with Scott Morrison. 
there were communication problems, but Tylee took the word of the Victoria state government and said, oh, that's good enough. If he can compete, he can get in the country. It was clear from this whole fiasco that there are a lot of people in this world who do not understand borders and what it takes to cross them. What's required to cross them. What millions upon millions of people go through just to to enter a country. And what we learned throughout the saga in January is that the Morrison government had extremely stringent immigration policies. They weren't about to bend for Novak Djokovic. And this became, uh, well, it became an election tactic for Morrison to be hardlined on Novak's entry. But the thing with Tylee is that, you know, this man has ruled the Australian Open with an iron fist. It's it's really been his personal domain, and he has helped transform it into a, a huge destination of a very serious Grand Slam tournament, right? But you can see, like, when this sort of uh, one-man dictatorship over the Australian Open backfires. So he helped to set this disaster into motion, and then a few days after, once the tournament began, he refused to answer questions. It was over. It was like it never happened. There was a a shocking lack of accountability from him with what went down. Mm -hmm. And he did not suffer any consequences with his job. Like It was was never in threat, (laughs) despite all that. No, because I think overall, Craig Tiley is perceived as bringing in an incredible amount of money and investment into Australian tennis. Who's going to who's going to fire him? It was another year where he made horrible decisions. It's like year after year after year, there's something that Craig Tiley does, something that he messes up that is just beyond belief. And it's, he, he carries on. It's usually environmentally related. 2022 saw the rise of Carlos Alcaraz. It also saw the rise at the end of the year of Holger Rune. And with that, we became intimately familiar with another dysfunctional tennis family (laughs) well we already knew a little about them after he said that homophobic slur uh that might have been in oh god 2020 or possibly last year but he made some crappy apologies then rewrote the apology like five times his mom chimed in and told everybody to stop bothering him he's just a kid leave britney alone exactly and this year we got Gate. this is too good he reached the quarterfinal of the French Open. He beat Stefano Tsitsipas at this tournament, a huge upset, having a great week. And he just kind of lost it mentally in this quarterfinal. It was very contentious. And he claims that Kaspar Ruud... Well, it starts... Wait, wait, wait. Oh, it was contentious on court. And then it's the whole thing kicks off with a drive-by handshake. And then mm. Kasper is casually shaking his head no afterward. Like... This dude. (laughs) And then Holger goes on to tell us about this confrontation in the locker room. Allegedly. That Kaspar Ruud went into Holger's face and screamed, yeah, and bullied him. Which means yes. So as it's told, we are meant to believe that Kaspar Ruud, after this match, found Holger in the locker room went up into his face and was like, yes, just like screaming in his face. That's that's the story. That's, that's the gist story. of it. Casper said, quote, it's a big lie. Helger has this thing where he he gets into scrapes with people and then like 
congratulates them afterward. Scrapes or scraps? Scraps, scrapes, both, I think. I Maybe he's trying to, you know, smooth it over or it's just him being a troll. I don't know. But he congratulated Casper afterward. Casper gave this long interview about it the next day on camera. And was <laughs> yes. like, you know, I hope going forward he doesn't feel the need to lie and tell all these lies in the future. Stop lying about me. It's all a big lie. Because, mm-hmm. you know, in many European countries, they have more serious slander and defamation laws than they do over here. Uh, Corentin Moutet got turfed by the French Federation. He got in that big fight with Andreev and started pushing and all that. This thing went on for like a good couple of weeks. Do you know like the mm-hmm. full story behind this thing? Maybe not. It sounds like you do. <laughs> I watched I watched this video. A listener submitted it to us to, to watch the whole thing. And ah, like a week or two before they play this match and Mute is bothered because he's serving and there's Andreev on the other side and he's doing this like racket flip while he's returning. Oh, right. And Mute stops and he goes, what are you doing? What are you doing? Why is he doing that? And he's totally shook by this. The umpire is like, he's been doing it all match. And then Mute is like, no, he only does this when he's losing. And then he starts telling people, stop watching me. Why are you watching me? That's his thing. Mute, like you watch all of his meltdowns this year, be it the opponent or the umpire, he's telling people, stop watching me. Really? Yeah, it's so weird. It sounds very insecure. And then he's always telling the umpire, do your job, do your job. Like, it's giving very Bryce Harper, clown question bro vibes the whole time. (laughs) And so that happens. And then the following week, they play again. And then in this match, they're warming up. And the entire warm-up, Mute is firing shots at Andreev at net. Mm. Like, he's just there trying to volley to get warmed up for this match. And Mute is rifling balls at his his body. Yeah. And then so Andreev says to the umpire, what is he doing? I don't understand. He's trying to... He's trying to hit me. And the umpire is like, well, I don't know if that's his intention. (laughs) Guys. And then it carries on. And then that's where you see the interaction at net after that match where Mute leans in to try and headbutt him, kind of. And then Andreev pushes him as they move toward the chair umpire. It it was wild. Mm -hmm. And then Mute gives some response about how Andreev claimed that he should meet him outside. And then I met, I, I went outside and I waited for like six hours and he didn't show up. And he's like, anytime you want to meet up, I'm waiting impatiently. The whole thing is I'm, just bizarre. Tell me that's a lie, please. That's, it, that's what I read. Wow. Yeah. Mute, uh, I, as you know, drama follows him or he creates it. It's too bad because he is the best MC in the tennis game. By far. He featured on that Chapeau song and ate him up. Poor White Drake. He just ate him up. Right, but not the best singer because we know that that belongs to an Italian. Yes. The the pop star, Lorenzo Sonico. I actually, I do play his song. You do? I do. I like it. Can you sing it? No. Give us a line. Give no, us a I bar. Don't, no, I don't Give us a bar. <laughs> Speaking of Chapo, one of the popular submissions for this segment was Dennis's tantrum against Nadal at the Australian Open, which actually prompted a rare mid-match talking to by Daddy. That was that was something to behold. Rafa was surely not in the mood that day. 
did not want Shapo's behavior to continue throughout the match and addressed it immediately. You can argue about the sportsmanship, whether that was uh, intimidating, whether it was gamesmanship, uh, but it certainly was unique. Shapovalov started the year with hopes that he would get out of his own head, get out of his own way, get his head out of his ass, stabilize himself emotionally on court, and that did not happen. And his results suffered for the majority of the year until he strung together a few wins in the fall season. Yeah. This is now a full-grown man. If this isn't something that he can get under control, like, dude, Ben Shelton's coming to snatch your wig as, right. like, Letha Lefty on tour. Like, Runa is coming, Alcaraz is already here. These guys are threatening Felix, to, to snatch this generation away. For years on this podcast, we were saying, wow, look at Dennis, but there's another Canadian coming, and he took big steps this year. Yeah. This next one is really more about a designer behaving badly. Ryan Hambright really made me laugh with this. He said, quote, every time Adidas sent a weary soldier out in these with a picture of the poop shorts. Shit stains shorts. I mean. Say that five times in a row. <laughs> Zverev's Acapulco. Should that be the title of this episode? No. <laughs> no. Uh, Zverev's Acapulco tantrum happened in the poop shorts. Mm. How can you take it seriously? And Ryan added, all day I dream about shit. The, the Adidas acronym. Uh, the joke. If it were an acronym. Right, because that was a joke as kids. I don't know if you guys said that down in Jamaica. Definitely did All not. day I dream about whatever. Usually it was sex. No. Okay, that was like an not, elementary school. Definitely thing. did not do that. And then when I found out it was just named after a German guy. So disappointing. The final one we're going to talk about just happened. I feel like we could release this episode and there's still going to be five episodes worth of men behaving badly before the 2023 <laughs> season. And it happened while we were trying to enjoy Thanksgiving dinner. We're just, you know, having a, a casual day, stuffing our faces, and tennis Twitter is a complete shambles over U.S. Men's Davis Cup. Davis Cup. Davis Cup. We even joked on the last episode that we were barely going to talk about Davis Cup. We didn't even know when it was happening. Well, you said that, and I said we shan't. <laughs> right. But it's Thanksgiving Day, and the United States Davis Cup team is imploding. Tommy Paul is firing off nasty tweets about would-be teammates. What happened was, Marty Fish, as the captain, declined to pick the number one doubles player in the world, Rajiv Ram, for the Davis Cup. There was an open spot. Right. There were four men of a possible five at this tournament. They chose not to select a fifth player. I don't know if it's because the USA don't got the funds, that there's a money issue why they couldn't <laughs> afford to pay for a fifth person, but this did not help their defense. The US team needed the doubles point to win their tie against Italy. Tiafo had lost to Sonigo. Fritz beat Musetti. They're tied one all. And they put up Jack Sock and Tommy Paul and lose in straight sets to Bolelli and Fognini. Presumably, Jack Sock is there for one reason. And that's because he's one of the bros. Because he's not the best doubles player well, he is in great, America. He is a great doubles player, though. Yes, but currently he is not the best by ranking and by yeah. results. Right. The best American doubles player. And this kicked off a lot of discussion on Twitter about, wait. What about Rajiv Ram? He's won majors this year. They won the World Tour Finals. 
what is going on here? Why wasn't he selected? Especially after Rajiv tweets on Thanksgiving, how's everybody's Thanksgiving going? After this has gone down, after the U.S. lost. <laughs> yes. Uh, earlier, actually like a week before the Davis Cup happened, reporters asked Marty Fish, the captain, why didn't you choose Rajiv for the team? And Marty said, I love Raj and his Davis Cup career with me isn't over, but this time Jack will be playing with Francis or Tommy or Taylor. As DC captain, it's my job to listen to the players as well. Ultimately, it's my choice and I make the calls, but I do listen to their thoughts and ideas. I mean, what, do, what, what, what do the players say? How do you read this and not read into it that it's the players that don't want him there? What, clearly. And Tommy Paul filled that gap with this now deleted tweet where he said that Rajiv, although a big time doubles player, basically struggles against anyone ranked in singles between 1 and 8,000. Those are his words. Hmm. Which doesn't make any sense. It makes no sense. Maybe... And you guys lost anyway. Maybe the lads banded together and decided to make a political statement and punish Rajiv Ram for his performance with Venus Williams at the 2016 <laughs> Olympic Games. Yeah. Maybe that's what's, hap- somehow, what's happened here. Somehow I don't think that is what happened. You know, this sort of... Gulf has left open a lot of room for speculation about how maybe Rom doesn't fit within the culture of the U.S. team. If you took into account the players' opinions about who should be picked, why didn't they pick him? Is this an age thing? Uh, Because it can't be that you don't think he's very good. That's ridiculous. And why not pick two doubles players then? Why not have Jack and Rajiv play together? Mm -hmm. It was so weird. And so... I've got to think, you know, we've seen this frat boy vibe in play at the Labor Cup. And you just wonder if Rajiv didn't fit in. They just wanted their whole frat boy click. Maybe Rajiv had something to say about Greek yogurt. <laughs> Let's not. Tommy Paul also tweeted, It's so cool to see people who aren't slash will never be Davis Cup captains pretending to be Davis Cup captains on Twitter. Hashtag tweeting from your parents' basement. Okay, first of all, Tommy Paul is not a Davis Cup captain, so I guess he can't say anything either. The idea that if you've never done this job, you you don't have a right to an opinion is obviously ridiculous. Fans are paying to watch this thing. There are other players who are criticizing you. There are players who are involved who are criticizing. They don't they don't get a voice at all. It's objectively absurd. Anybody with a brain cell would have suspicions about what's going on right. here. And is allowed to opine about it. People aren't making things up just to draw Riley Opelka from his basement to tweet about it. Right. That's not what's happening. And and what's wrong with tweeting from your parents' basement? <laughs> not not everybody grew up rich. Not everybody has a penthouse. When you're tweeting like Riley Opelka as Elon Musk 24-7, I have issue with that. It's giving basement bro vibes. And that Even is, if it's not from the basement. That is one of the biggest... Men behaving badly situations of 2022 for me. Mm-hmm. It happened off court because he went, he was on another one today. He sure was. What was this one about? It escapes me. It was about the Fernando Verdasco yes. two month ban. Okay. A sidebar for a moment from Davis Cup. Today it was revealed that Fernando Verdasco was levied a two month ban from tennis for failing to renew a therapeutic use exemption. Because he tested positive for an ADHD medication, which is called methylphenidate, 
also known as Ritalin, the brand name in the U.S. No, no, no. Speak up. I want to hear you ask me about my drugs. (laughs) So what happened is that Fernando tested positive for a banned substance for something he had been taking under a therapeutic use exemption and apparently forgot to renew. The ITIA accepted that he did, quote, not intend to cheat and that the violation was unintentional. And you may remember from several high-profile cases, this was classified as no significant fault or negligence. So his ban was reduced from, I think, a few years to two months. Which would have been the end of his career. He's 38 years old. Right. And so now he only has to serve into January. Nobody's playing anyway, which is kind of silly. And Riley Opelka decided to spend his entire day speculating about how players taking ADHD medications are cheating. Point blank, period. Even if you have ADHD, you're cheating. Mm -hmm. Because it's a stimulant, it sharpens concentration and focus. That's his medical opinion. Pam Shriver says on Twitter that she's heard, you know, through the grapevine that this is a thing in tennis. Ben Rothenberg tweets later on that he spoke to somebody in the ATP Top 100 and they estimate that 50% of those players in the Top 100 are on Ritalin. Or or Adderall Mm. or one of the stimulant drugs for ADHD. Sure. So is this a problem in tennis? Likely so. Is this something to get on your soapbox and accuse a compatriot of being a drug cheat when all indications are that he's gone through this process legally and that he has been diagnosed with ADHD that is beyond the pale and it is it's quite frankly disgusting and it it is something that's worth a nuanced conversation about it Pam was saying that there are rumors that some players are basically skirting the rules and claiming that they have ADHD Mm -hmm. and we need to be very very careful and I I don't think that Pam crossed any lines or anything but we need to be careful not to speak in ableist ways right if someone has ADHD and they've obtained a diagnosis and they're being treated for it that needs to be accommodated by tennis and it is through TUEs what's what Pam is saying is like there may there may be a bigger thing going on And you better believe if there is a way for players to gain an advantage or cheat, some players will. Not some. The majority will. The majority will. Like this, this has been the case across every professional sport in history. Your faves, the greats of every sport, the majority of them have gained some kind of advantage that even at a very bare minimum might not be the most above board. It doesn't rise to the level of being illegal as currently decided within the rules today. What's illegal now? But in five years and ten years, that may change. Like, drug testing may catch up. (laughs) You know, there may be different medical opinions on certain type of enhancements. Different technologies, different substances may be used. Can we move past the purity porn of what (laughs) athletics is? Mm. So Riley, I mean, tweeted all day. Some just some really nasty and offensive stuff, ableist stuff. Like in my view, if somebody has a disability and has gone through the very sometimes very difficult journey of getting diagnosed especially as an adult, we have a duty to accommodate them in in a modern society. And so his view is that every accommodation for ADHD is cheating. 
Mm -hmm. It's also something that a lot of people go and suffer with undiagnosed. Absolutely. Especially as an adult. Mm -hmm. So this idea that adults don't need it is preposterous. Riley has, I don't know what's going on, man. Like he's just become this sort of Elon Musk character. He says really nasty, mean things. And then he retweets all the criticism about him and says, oh, I'm toxic. I'm, I'm privileged. privileged. It's like, yes, I'm. you're catching up. I'm so glad. Mm. Anyway. It's just more than anything, it's boring. I'm bored. I've blocked Elon Musk because I don't want to see that shit anymore. It is so boring. Non-critical contrarianism. And I don't want to hear about Riley Opelka on Tennis Channel again. I won't see it because we don't get Tennis Channel, but I don't want you all to have to deal with that <laughs> going forward. Because let me tell you, coming after Coco was the straw that broke Camel's back. Allegedly. In allegedly. In your suspicion. But not allegedly. Let me reiterate, this is a Coco Golf advocacy podcast, so it will not be tolerated. I said that we would not be talking about Davis Cup on the show, so congrats to Canada. I'm not interested in the lucky loser shit. The fact that they were given a wild card. <laughs> they were beaten in four straight matches in February. Some shit like that. Only to come back and whoop the lads. Whoop the boys. Congrats to them. <laughs> Listen, it's not Canada's fault that the entire tennis world decided to ban Russia from everything. They got this sort of lucky loser spot, which doesn't really happen in Davis. I literally just said but, we weren't going to talk oh, about well, it. I feel like it should be talked about. That We are podcasting from canada canada just won davis cup they're it's a literally historic thing canadian tennis podcasts <laughs> literally there are some yes but let's talk about felix for a second we'll talk about him later yes so let's talk about this tacked on then fine i do want to chat quickly about uh something we asked in january we asked does the atp cup have a future and it turns out it it does kind of and it's morphed into the, this United Cup, which is a joint men's and women's tournament. But somehow, Canada, after winning the ATP Cup and Davis Cup, has not qualified for United Cup. Why is that? That's because of these very specific rules about qualification, which to me is just absolutely wild that they did not qualify under any of them. They choose six countries based on the ATP ranking of their top singles player, Likewise, they choose six countries based on the WTA ranking of their top singles player. And then the final six countries will qualify based on the combined ranking of their number one ranked ATP and WTA players. But how can you look at Team Canada, aside from all this math, how can you look at Team Canada and say they're not one of the most formidable teams in the world? With Bianca, Layla, Felix, Dennis. So what you're saying is, there are six men from six distinct countries ranked higher than Felix. Right. And there are six women under the same criteria ranked higher than the top-ranked Canadian woman. Yes. This sucks for them. It sure does. It was a, it's a made-up tournament. With made-up rules. And so somebody's going somebody's gonna to catch a stray. And I realize, we, you know, we are Canadian. We're, we're biased, but... When the men swept both of the team cups this year, it's it's kind of silly. 
we're going to talk about some notable moments. Uh, on the WTA show, we went through kind of chronologically through the season and talked about the trends and stuff. This is more about picking out a specific remember whens or. Mm-hmm. We were talking privately, and I had said, we're definitely not going to do a chronological thing with this because, you know, it should be a little bit more free flowing. And here I have on the agenda, you write notable moments, chronological order. <laughs> Well, it only makes sense. It can't be total <laughs> chaos. So let's let's start with I'm heading down under with an exemption permission. Djokovic is chucked from the country after so much back and forth, a court ruling, an appeal, another hearing that we all watched in the middle of the night in Eastern Standard Time. Djokovic was deported. They upheld the cancellation of his visa, and we got really one of the most memorable men's finals of the past, uh, what, five years? Rafa Nadal beats Daniel Medvedev in five and a half hours. He was down two sets to love. He was serving at 2-3, love 40 in the third set. This was done and dusted, right? This was so close to being over. Medvedev had made an Australian Open final before. He was surely at that time a better hardcore player than Nadal, and it was truly unbelievable. He was a better hardcore player than Nadal in those two and a half sets, that's for sure. Yeah. I watched it. I watched every point of that match. So this victory closed a 13-year gap between Rafa's Australian titles. It put him ahead in the Grand Slam title race with 21. It gave him a double career Grand Slam. I mean... This is something that Rafa fans could never have hoped for. It just felt so out of reach. I certainly didn't think it likely at this stage of his career. Uh, I mean, it's there's so many things that happened in 2022 that just did not feel real as they were happening. Rafa winning this match. Ash Barty not only winning Australia, having Ivan Gulagong present her the trophy, but then to retire a couple months later. That didn't feel real. Mm. Serena retiring didn't feel real. Being at that match watching her beat Contevate did not feel real. Roger Federer no longer being a professional tennis player did not feel real. It was huge tectonic shifts in tennis this year. Massive. And I think looking back and preparing for these shows... We took it for granted as they were happening. Clearly, they didn't all happen at once, right? Mm -hmm. So you don't get the the grandiosity, the collective grandiosity of it. But then to look back at it, to try and put all these stuff together, it's, it's crazy. Well, I can say from experience, trying to cover these things as a podcaster, you don't want to be on 11 all the time, right? If things are crazy all the time... You think, oh, I must be overreacting. But looking back, it is dreamlike and nightmare-like. And so many surreal things happen in the season. Rafa starting with a 20-match win streak, uh, going winning the Melbourne warm-up, the Australian Acapulco, reaching the Indian Wells final. Hardcourt king. Right. And then... At 36, 35 years old at the time? But the Indian Wells final, after he beat Carlos in that sandstorm... That really kicked off an incredibly injured season, right? That was that was a massive shift in Rafa's season because it became 
a miserable slog through injury while still winning. That's just become part of the tennis lexicon now, right? I think it was extremely injured. This was... But you said incredibly yes, injured. That's a, a, it, it, a famous Maria Sharapova yes, quote. About, it's no longer used in an ironic way. It's you, just what it is. Yeah, you remember who it was about, right? Miss Azarenka. <laughs> Indeed. But Rafa's win streak was a huge story through the first few months of the year. Taylor Fritz winning his first Masters 1000 title and being followed by the Netflix cameras was another one. Back to that Australian Open final. Mm-hmm. It was unlike anything I'd ever witnessed in tennis. I, I, <laughs> it ended at like 7 a.m. our time. Yeah. Didn't I like wake you up to be like, he's actually going to do this? Yes, because I set an alarm and slept through it. Ish. <laughs> and the thing about it is that it had this constant build of, could he? Mid third set, saving those triple break points. And in the way he did it, and then to win the third set, and you're like, okay, okay. Still, surely not. Then he wins the fourth set. And then you're in the fifth set, and Rafa is is like a dog with a bone. And Medvedev is... He's feeling the pressure of what this could mean. Mm-hmm. And I'm still at a loss for words. I don't think I've mm-hmm. ever been able to really express what that was like. And Medvedev was utterly shattered by what happened. He, you know, he was devastated by the crowd, he said. And he said, the dream is gone. He's lost the spark. And of course, that was shortly after losing. But there was there was a little bit of a spark missing from Medvedev for the rest of the season. Even though he snatched the number one ranking, he ended this long consecutive streak of Novak at number one. And he stayed at number one for 16 weeks during this year, but it never felt like Medvedev's year. While he was number one, it felt like, oh, Carlos is happening, Mm. right? The last thing I'll say about that Australian Open is that it was particularly delicious as a Rafa fan. Not because he now had 21 slams and was a leader. I'd given up all interest in that part of it. Because I I still, to this day, assume Novak is going to end up with... Significantly more, even, than everybody else. I was like, okay, that's cute. But the fact that this tournament and our coverage of it started with that tweet. (laughs) (laughs) That cold open. And we went through all that. We were staying up to watch Australian courtroom situations. We were Mm -hmm. watching legalese. I mean, we were having to read legislation about Australian immigration law. This is what tennis Twitter does, right? We had to live through the mess that his fans caused on social media. But what made it delicious is that a tournament that any reasonable person would give Djokovic a 90% chance of winning, Mm -hmm. he, through his own actions and stubbornness and fill in the blank, right? brought this upon himself, created the vacuum for Rafa to do this and also showed that tennis can thrive without him. That's the kicker is right. Like tennis, men's tennis, women's tennis can thrive without any star. It may take some time, but this year on the ATP side, it showed that they're ready. (laughs) The, the fans, the promoters are ready for Carlos. They're ready for Francis and Felix, and they're setting the table for who's coming after. 
I just hope some of this is captured juicily by Netflix. Like, this is the part of the Netflix stuff that I want to see the behind-the-scenes juicy part. Exactly. Like that's, do, that's what your role is here. Do I care about Taylor Fritz? Not to make Not Alex really. Diminar a household name. <laughs> Not that, surely. Right. So since I'm being made to talk about this in a chronological fashion, Medvedev ends Djokovic's 79-week run at number one in February and holds a top spot for 16 weeks, but as you mentioned, it never really felt like his year. And then we get to the spring, and Rafa still has his win streak going. It snapped in Indian Wells. He has the injury that he suffered, I believe, in the semifinal. Still went out for the final against Taylor Fritz. Fritz wins. Big Netflix moment for him, I'm sure, that we will see whenever that's released. But at this time, the tide begins to shift toward Alcaraz. It had been building. The media was ready for it, and he started delivering. He becomes one of the dominant stories, really, starting in March, winning Miami, beating Kaspar Ruud. He wins Barcelona. Without Nadal and Djokovic in the draw, but still Barcelona is a venerable clay tournament. And then finally, the Madrid title, beating (laughs) number one, Djokovic, number three, Zverev, number four, Nadal. I believe you have written here number one, ND, number three, Rat, and number four, Nadal. I I did. I I didn't say Rat. (laughs) And then, of course, the culmination of his year. He, you know, he didn't win Roland Garros, as some predicted. But he won his first Grand Slam title at the U.S. Open. This run featured three consecutive five-setters. It just felt like he could not lose a match. He could not lose a five-setter no matter what happened. There was a classic, an all-timer against Yannick Sinner, who had beaten him twice just a few months earlier in the summer. A semifinal against Francis Tiafo, which is one of the highest-rated matches on ESPN in a while. And finally, that four-set final against Rude, which Rude felt like he was in control of for, for a good little while. That's the Alcaraz arc. Mm-hmm. Before the U.S. Open, we still had the French Open and Wimbledon. Rafa Nadal doubts about his body based on the injury in Indian Wells, doubts about his foot. He wins his title, number 22. So, yes, the tide is turning toward Alcaraz. But Rafa still has won both slams at this point. Mm-hmm. Ridiculous. He reportedly received injections in his foot during Roland Garros to numb the pain. He beats f- four top ten players to win the tournament. So you can't complain that there was an easy draw. Because he beat Felix, Novak Djokovic, Zverev, and Rude to win the title. His eighth slam in his 30s. Not quite as many as Serena, but we're getting close. And 14th overall Roland Garros title. The thing about Nadal in the GOAT debate is that this otherworldly achievement that will likely never be topped, that will probably be one of the unbreakable records in all of sport forever, Mm -hmm. is used as a black mark against his candidacy. (laughs) It's seen as a detriment to his GOAT candidacy because Clay is somehow less legitimate. It's absolutely absurd. This after he was the hardcourt king to start the year, only (laughs) felled by injury. What could his year have looked like if he played injury-free? What could his career have looked like 
if he played injury-free. Mm. And of course, this is it's a useless argument in a lot of ways because everybody plays with injuries. Of course, yes. But, you know, put his determination and his court smarts in a player who doesn't have a congenital foot problem, Muller-Weiss syndrome, and, and see what happens. I want to say this, though. The thing that separates the truly great players from everybody else, in my opinion, the one through line is professionalism. The way they treat their careers, the way they view their careers, the way they train, their preparation, the things that they will not allow to get in the way of their success. Mm -hmm. And for whatever warped reason... You can see that with Djokovic and the vaccine dilemma. You know, no matter what you think about his reasons for doing it, there's an element of that too. Right. Right. And although we disagree with a lot of what Djokovic does, he is clearly an utmost professional when it comes to his training, his career. What he thinks is working for him. Right. We get to Wimbledon. Rafa has a chance to win the third leg of the calendar year Grand Slam. He's just gotten this ablation i believe it's called to block the pain in his foot for up to two years the foot is feeling good but lo lo and behold there's another injury on the horizon this time the ab tear this is not to say that this is the reason rafa didn't win wimbledon because you know look who's there kyrgios would have waited in the semifinals djokovic was peerless winning his seventh wimbledon title Right, but not more than three short years ago, (laughs) he pushed Djokovic to five sets at Wimbledon. Yes, they played an incredible semifinal, and Nick really pushed Novak in this final. Novak did not feel unbeatable during this tournament. Rafa chooses to pull out rather than play Nick in the semifinals. He gets a walkover into the final. I'm saying... The situation that Rafa found himself in at this tournament, it was one that many of us did not want him to play. (laughs) Right. But, uh, I mean, at the time, it didn't feel unreasonable to say, wow, he actually maybe has a fighting chance at a third slam in a row, at the first three legs of the, the Grand Slam. It didn't happen, of course. Novak wins. He was allowed to play Wimbledon. He would not be allowed to play the U.S. Open. Uh, the You know who wasn't allowed? Russians and Belarusians. Mm-hmm. They weren't allowed. No points. So I I truly cannot believe we're crying about points at this point when Russian players couldn't even come. But that's just me. You know, that's just my little opinion. We talked on the WTA episode about one of the big stories of the year is that the COVID protocols kind of fell by the wayside throughout the year. And Wimbledon didn't require COVID testing at all. They take seriously their role as a British institution. This is how they speak. I'm not just making fun. They're the firm of tennis, if you will. (laughs) Basically. Uh, And they, I mean, they took cues from the British government about the Russian ban and about COVID protocols. And lo and behold, guess what? Matteo Berrettini, Marin Cilic, Bautista Agut test positive for COVID in the first week and pull out. Berrettini is the Queen's champion. He's someone who is a top contender for the title. This is his best surface. And he... A former Wimbledon finalist. According to the rules, he could have tested positive and decided to play anyway. But they relied on people's honor to pull out if they were positive. Into the summer hardcourt swing, this is where we got back on tour. 
We saw tennis <laughs> in Toronto, and then I went to the U.S. Open. But you have here written that we had some random winners in Canada and Cincinnati. <laughs> Just like on the women's side, don't at me, we had Pablo Carino Busta win Canada against Horkoc. We had Borna Choric, comeback kid, win Cincinnati. They were kind of random. They were surprising winners. Yeah, and with all that momentum, he went to the U.S. Open and just spat all over the court. Hmm. He was nominated for Comeback Player of the Year, though, which I agree with. Sure. And he's growing his hair out. It looks really good. Okay, and (laughs) it's one of my big disappointments of the year that I have fallen out of, well, that he has fallen out of my favor. Oh, Based on what I've seen of him in person. Very aggro. Yes. Yeah. All right. U.S. Open, we we talked about what happened at the U.S. Don't Open. Don't skip past oh. Boris Becker. Well, this is actually misplaced. Um, this happened in April, sorry, oh. out of chronological order. Imagine that. Mm-hmm. Boris Becker was sentenced to prison in April after being found guilty of hiding assets and debts during a bankruptcy proceeding. Uh, 2.5 million pounds of assets and debts he hid. We don't have to say allegedly anymore because he was convicted. So he's been in a British prison for a little while, and I've seen reports this week that he's going to be deported to Germany before Christmas, which means he'll be released from prison uh, under this program for foreign offenders to kind of free up some prison resources in the UK. We get to the US Open, and not going to lie, being on site, one of the things I was interested in seeing, after having not been at the tennis for a few years was, you know, what these men were saying in person, you know, looks wise. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was mere feet away from Matteo Berrettini and, you know, he looks better in person. I'll say that. Really? Yeah. I mean, he looks very good in photos too. Right. Although I wouldn't, I would personally never be caught dead wearing the name of a Nazi on my clothes, but that's just me. Well, you can look it up if you want. One of my favorite memories from that tournament was watching Francis Tiafo on, I believe, the grandstand late one night close out his early round match. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. You know, Francis is one of the stories of the year for us being, well, I'm American, but simply having been a fan of Francis for a long time and seeing what I feel like is another come up is reaching another rung getting to the semifinals of that U.S. Open and competing admirably finals in Estoril and Tokyo. And I, you know, you feel like he's ready to make that next step. And with Francis and with all, yeah, all black tennis players, there are weird, insignificant controversies following them at all times. Hmm. Are you referring to Greek yogurt for this Uh, one? Well, you know, we talked about the labor cup thing when it happened and we both said we're not huge fans of kind of the frat boy bro culture i'll give them that that's an understatement yes i don't i don't love it but fans of stefanos and i guess detractors of francis in general took this this very immature insult greek yogurt yeah it was silly it was stupid but looked it up on urban dictionary and decided that it was a homophobic comment against stefanos which is ridiculous. Nobody has ever heard of that. Nobody says that. Did you know that? I certainly didn't. No, they had but, to look it up. But we are old now. Sure. These are younger people. Yes. 
But uh, I'm going on record to say that I do not believe that. Okay. But it's still following him around. And then this week, and I'm not going to name them, but an account on Thanksgiving Day in the U.S. tried to create this silly controversy about Francis wearing headphones during the national anthem. A who gives a fuck, first of all. If he was wearing headphones, I don't care what he was doing during the national anthem. I refuse to engage in this discussion. I don't care if he was breakdancing during the national anthem. I personally feel that these national anthems should not be present at sporting events. Period. Point blank. So, uh, miss me with that. But also, he had one headphone off his ear. He was listening. And I don't care. Again, don't care what he was doing. And when you see people report like, oh, lots of fans and media personalities were upset. That's a lie. What do you call those? Straw men. Exactly. You know, when sources say, who are they? What did they say? Name them. And the funny thing is that this this little non-controversy started early in the day. And then five seconds later, the captain and Tommy Paul embarrassed the U.S. team profoundly. Like, that is an embarrassment. (laughs) Truly. (laughs) So it makes me mad. But what makes me really pleased is I know it is killing the dolls that Francis was just nominated for the Stefan Edberg Sportsmanship Award. It is killing them. Serena had her big moment at the U.S. Open playing her final tournament. And then shortly thereafter, we get the news that Roger Federer, too, will be retiring from tennis. Not at Basel, where we kind of expected it would happen, but instead at Labor Cup, where he could have a less taxing experience on his body. Mm -hmm. And just a warmer, more collegial team atmosphere where he had this kind of community of support around him. And most importantly, he had Rafa Nadal and his family and his children around. Mm -hmm. Rafa said that he was not going to be there. If but not for this moment. He got on a play. He came. <laughs> and this was another moment that felt dreamlike. The kind of emotion and affection that was spilled by these guys and amongst them. It was really unusual. And it was befitting somewhat of Roger's stature in the game. But it was, uh, it was almost disarming to see two grown straight men hold each other's hands and, and weep on each other's shoulders and... Well, it it was more like a touch on the hand. Well, it was captured by the camera as like a a more permanent moment than it was. Okay, fine. But still. I know that European that, men are more physically affectionate. That image endures. <laughs> yes. You know, we rag on Labor Cup all the time. It's one of our favorite pastimes. We know <laughs> what they did to actively conceal stuff with that guy's investigation. Mm-hmm. If you've... Ben blocked, you know. (laughs) That's part of it. But they've also been able to build its profile and its legacy at this point on the backs of Fedal. Yes. Federer and Nadal. Yes. And this was the ultimate culmination of that. And it works for them because there is a genuine affection between the two of them. Right. Rafa was tore up over this moment mm-hmm. he oh. felt he said that he felt like a, a part of him was leaving as well mm-hmm. 
a Labor Cup can create moments, no doubt. What I've always objected to is them positioning themselves as a serious competitive endeavor and trying to convince us that the results of Labor Cup mattered. Because I don't think they do, but I don't think that needs to be the purpose. We have majors, we have ATV finals, we have a million tournaments. We don't need it to be consequential. Just say this thing is to make a ton of money for a ton of people, including the players. Have a kiki kaka, laugh, <laughs> have a laugh, you know? Right. But why do we have to add trumped up import to it? Yeah. it? It doesn't need it. Like, there is a space in tennis for this kind of event. Right. Because what you get when you invite Americans, mm. and especially white Americans, mm. is you get this this really toxic team bro team. No, who wants to see that? Like, you, you could watch football for that. It's giving, that's all you've got, lady. Two wrong feet and fucking ugly shoes. <laughs> that one, Julia, her Oscar. <laughs> I'm glad she has an Oscar. Ellen Burstyn already had one from the 70s, so sorry. Anything you'd like to add about Mr. Federer? No, I think we kind of said it all on our... Uh, Bye-bye, Federer. Bye-bye, Birdie. We basically did a Bye-bye, Bardie episode in March. (laughs) We did an episode mostly concerning Federer's retirement in September. And the Serena one is still, uh, God, it's still kind of in utero. I have more more fully formed (laughs) ideas about what we're doing. And I don't think it has to be that deep. Okay, okay. I think it will be best served having fun with it. All right. Uh, let's talk about a few of the other many retirements this year. The other big one, of course, was Juan Martín del Potro, which is really a story of what was left on the table. You know, what he could have achieved if not for all of these myriad injuries. And also a story of what he's left to deal with. Yes. Because he gave an interview that was quite harrowing to read, let alone to live through, mm. as he is right now mourning the death of his tennis career in ways that most other players don't. It's different. He said that, you know, talking to other players, they say, well, I kind of prepared myself for this moment over the last two years. I made my peace with it. He's never been able to make peace with it. It's something he's always wanted to keep doing. And he tried and tried through four knee surgeries, multiple other surgeries, countless rehabs, stops and starts. And every time he tried something, it didn't work. And there was that crushing disappointment. Mm-hmm. And one to the point where one day he just had to stop. And he is not prepared yet for a life without tennis. And man, that was... When you combine that with him hanging his headband on the net after his last match in Ar- Argentina... Which wasn't even intended to be his last match, but he was like, you know, I can't do this anymore. Right. Yeah, when you've basically been born to play tennis and this is your life for 30-something years. Let's be uh, real here, too. A lot of these players, they've been bred to play tennis. Yeah, yeah. We also saw my fave, Joe Wilfried Songa, my problematic fave, Songa. Leave the game. He spent many months in body serve jail. He was in the <laughs> hall of shame for a while. Yeah. Um, for failing to beat tennis center from two sets up. He should have been jailed for the hormones comments. That but too. That yeah. may have predated the podcast. 
to be fair. I should hope so. Because that would have been a serious (laughs) blind spot on our end. Yeah, we have covered that thoroughly. So you can go back and listen to it. But uh, I'm really sad to see Sanga go. He is one of the players who was actually born in the same year as me. Mm. So we're both very old. Do you know who you are not sad to see go? Who? Gilles Simon. But yeah, we just talked about him so we can move on. Kevin Anderson. A what? A two-time major runner-up? Mm-hmm. Wimbledon and U.S. Open. Tommy Robredo, a player I really loved in the mid-2000s. Sam Query, Noah Rubin, maybe not technically a retirement, maybe like a hiatus. A, a pause. Yeah, Sam Query is retiring, but both say they're going to try their hands at pickleball. Philippe Kohlschreiber, Bedenay. I did not know that Bedenay retired. Yeah. I just saw that a couple of weeks ago. Stakovsky, he enlisted in the Ukrainian military to help defend his country against Russian invasion. Uh, Swadesh, Bruno Swadesh, who uh, was Jamie Murray's doubles partner for years. Kamka, Kavkic, and Andrea Seppi, one of the great spoilers of the last decade. Mm-hmm. There are three other players that we want to have a little bit more of a more granular discussion about their years. Had pretty good years. Yeah, Felix Ogelesim shook this curse that seemed to be following him around this pretty awful record in finals. He was, what, 0-62 in finals before this year? <laughs> he he had this great run of making second weeks in majors, but he still couldn't win an ATP title. And he did that in the Rotterdam 500 tournament, beating Nori, Rublev, Tsitsipas, followed that up by another runner-up finish in Marseille. He had kind of a so-so summer. It wasn't amazing. But he finished the year with this three-title run, winning Florence, Antwerp, and Basel. To blitz into the ATP finals. And then leading his team, winning all of his matches to win the Davis Cup title for Canada. And then doing one of his patented semi-rhythmic dances. (laughs) You know, Felix is going to dance. I don't know exactly what he's doing or if it's good, but he is going to dance. Right. And I I see a lot of people giving him hell because (laughs) apparently it's not good enough. Like they expect black men or black people to just Mm. have all the rhythm. Yes. And I'm here to say he doesn't look bad. He doesn't look terrible. Like, would he win a competition? No. But it's not (laughs) embarrassing. It's cute. For me, It is least. cute because I would support pretty much everything that Felix does. As long as it's not toxic. You know? Okay. If he wants to do some awkward dancing, I support it. 100%. Would you support his survey of gays on the ATP Absolutely. Tour? You don't find it too He's, intrusive. He said, I did a survey of the gays. And here's what I found <laughs> out. Okay. It was such a weird framing. I... I actually put this on the agenda forgetting that it was in 2021 that he said that. But the the girls brought it up again in 2022 yes. to make fun of him. Because the ATP did actually announce that they were starting a partnership with You Can Play to basically make the environment better for potentially LGBTQ players. Somebody else who's gotten a lot of flack in these Twitter streets, the Yahmeister, Casper Ruud. Well, you look back at 2022 and what do we have? We have... A two-time slam finalist. We have finishing the year top three. We have 
ATP Finals finalist and a further three titles. Is that correct? Yes. He actually had a shot at number one a few times this year. He could have won the U.S. Open final against Alcaraz. He adds three more 250 titles to his roster. And this is, I guess, part of the knock against Casper is that all of his titles are at the 250 level. And actually, the three that he won, Buenos Aires, Geneva, and Gestad, are repeats. He's won them before. I mean, he's also runner-up in Miami, also to Alcaraz. Yes. But I think we need to uh, reframe and accept that Casper Ruud is a genuine contender for majors. Right, because for a lot of these guys, they're contenders in abstract only, not in practice. Exactly. Casper Ruud has done it, actually done it. Mm-hmm. Casper has made two major finals. Tsitsipas and Zverev have made one each. Your new favorite player, 2022. <laughs> Absolutely not. Holger Rune, the victim of Yagate. You simply cannot argue with his trajectory this year. And it actually is sort of similar to Felix's. He wins Challenger and San Remo on clay, Munich on clay. And then he notches this pretty massive upset of Stefanos Tsitsipas at Roland Garros. He was the runner-up the previous year. It's the battle of troubled families. Youths, yes. And then in the fall, he goes on this run, reaching the final of Sofia, winning Stockholm, runner-up in Basel to Felix, and then the biggest of all, wins the Paris Masters title. And like, look at look at the draw he went through. Stan, Horkacz, Rublev, Alcaraz, Felix, and Novak Djokovic. I wish for him in 2023 to move past the pick-me shit. The look-at-me shit. And also, please stop commenting on female players' Instagrams. Like, we we don't need that. Oh, he's doing that too? I mean, not in a creepy way, but just like, stay away from them. Oh. (laughs) Always got something to say on Twitter. Like, if you are to be here, and I suppose it's, it's not to be avoided at this point... Level up the professionalism. Mm. I, I fear that he's not going to grow out of this. Of course, I don't know that. Mm. But I fear that the family condones it. Possibly helps to produce it. The fans do too. Because yeah. apparently I'm told, again, as has been the case with scores of players over the years, tennis needs a villain. Tennis needs a bad boy. Tennis needs... Men behaving badly. I guess. And uh, it made up 45 minutes of our show. If you are <laughs> one of those fans who think that way, kudos to you to getting to the end of this episode. Because historically, <laughs> that has not been our bag. We've been very upfront about that. Yes. Uh, we've been very, very negative about men's tennis. And it's not something that's going to change. Like you can create compelling competitive, even drama-filled tennis matches, rivalries, narratives, without people being dicks. Uh, So nasty and so rude. You're living in a big four world. And where we are is not a big four world anymore. We're breaking bad, okay? I feel like there are many (laughs) references in there and I struggled to catch them all. Well, so nasty and so rude was knee. Okay. Mm-hmm. The big three that that wasn't a reference. Unless was there... it was unless it was unintentional. 
Was was there a material girl reference in there? We are living in a oh, baby well, world. No, 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 it wasn't. I would never reference Madonna, but <laughs> <laughs> the point is, be prepared for a less a less kind and less gentle ATP than it was during the Big Four heyday. Okay, I'm okay with that. Just don't be, don't be mean about it. What? What are you not getting here? What do you mean? Less kind and less gentle. That's I the mean, opposite. mean. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to be mean, at least be funny. Right. At least be smart. Compelling. Like, do something different. Don't be Elon Musk. Mm. Mm. Well, to be fair, Holger is doing something different. Sort of disproving my point here. We anyway. need to move on. We need to move on. We had a request uh, to talk about Andy Murray's year. What is going on with Andy Murray? Tell me. And it's not Andy Murray of 2016, but it's not bad. Okay. He started the year ranked 134 without direct entry into anything, really. Still relying on wild cards. He finishes the year inside the top 50 at number 49. He made two finals, one of them Sydney, pretty big one. He made a grass court final in Stuttgart. So that's two finals. He made another semi and then two other quarters. Third round at the U.S. Open, his best result in a slam. Of course, he didn't play the French Open. He did this weird thing where he said, I'm going to skip the clay season. But then he ended up playing a a little bit in lead-up tournaments, but didn't actually play the French Open. It's it's a lot to expect Andy to win multiple best of five set matches with his current skill set and body. Mm -hmm. that's just the reality of it. Uh, I could see him, for as long as he continues to play and being healthy, grinding out being a top 30 to top 50 player. Maybe top 25. I don't know, right? Right. But With a big result. Yeah, but I do think that his days of being a world beater are beyond him. And I went back and looked at his 2016 season today, and I'm really left wondering how did this happen? And no wonder his body broke. Oh, because of how much he played? How much he played, how much he won. It was just entirely too much. And with his style of play, if you're an Andy Murray fan, I think the challenge is to adjust to a new normal for him. It might not be enough for him. It might not be enough for you. But there's still enjoyment to be gleaned every now and then. How is he with a metal hip supposed to compete with Carlos Alcaraz flying and bending (laughs) And jumping all over the court with acumen in spades. Mm. Like it's it's a tough enough ask for the most able-bodied of the older gen, let alone somebody like Andy Murray. But he wants to do it. Yeah, and so let him do it. We just have to all, he can do whatever he wants, but we have to all just kind of adjust our expectations. Right. Me personally, I have stopped watching his matches because I don't have the bandwidth for that. Fair enough. I mean, you were watching Venus in Asia throughout the, the tough years. You've been through it. Also, his tennis wasn't always enjoyable. It's less so now. <laughs> Fair enough. Still love him, but it wasn't always enjoyable. Let's cap off the episode and the season with talking about our breakout picks for 2022 players. And as usual, we... Chose players from 0 to 50, 51 to 100, 
and 101 to end up 101 and up to have breakout years mm-hmm. so let's see how we did i like this one because i did 10 times better than the wta S- same i feel like we both had successes here right but i still did better than you okay whatever <laughs> uh for, I'd like to be st- yes. I'd like that to be stated for the record. For the top fifty, we both chose Taylor Fritz to break out, and but I I also tacked on Francis Tiafo. Yes, and Taylor Fritz top ten, and Francis number nineteen. So both successful mm-hmm. there. Career highs mm-hmm. for both, uh, with notable big wins. Fritz won Indian Wells in Tokyo made the ATP finals. We talked about what Francis did. For the 51 to 100 category, we actually both picked Cressy. And that was a little bit easier because he reached a final in Australia during the lead-up to the Australian Open. So it was kind of cheating. But it wasn't a bad pick overall. He won the Newport title on grass. He reached the Eastbourne final as I said, he reached the final of the Melbourne Somerset. The other player that I picked was Alejandro Davidovich Fokina. And that was a like not a bad pick. He his big result was reaching the final of Monte Carlo. And that seemed to like push him points wise for the rest of the year. Because it was a pretty so so year. But Still, he did he finishes thirty one. Yes, he rose from number fifty to number thirty one. I picked Cressy, as you said, and also Brandon Nakashima. Oh, hello. Hello. Tell us what he did. Wimbledon quarterfinal, San Diego, and next-gen winner. First ATP title and the next-gen title. And then from the 100 and above, 100 and beyond Mm. category, I picked Andy Murray. Which, if you consider, he went from 134 to 49. Not bad. Yeah, it was a good choice. And then also Kokinakis, which... Eh. Which, it didn't eh. turn out to be a great choice. Won the doubles title, of course, at the Australian Open. My pick wasn't much better. I picked Ernesto Escobedo, who only played two matches on the ATP level this year and lost them. Uh, and he's now ranked number 229. So that was not a great pick from me. But I have hope. That brings us to the end of our tennis covering 2022 season, barring something batshit. (laughs) We may be coming to you with a pop culture episode. Mm -hmm. But if not, ofitasen. Adieu? No, we do have to. We have to come back because it's really, it's not even December. It will be probably when the the episode is released, but... You don't want to break? Well, I do, but, you know, we we have a GoFundMe open. We have to give the girls something. Yeah, which is why I want to do the pop culture yeah, thing. We haven't yeah. done it in a while. It's usually your bag. You're usually jonesing for this type of episode. I know. And now you feel like you don't got nothing to say. I'm not feeling... I will. I will. I'm just... I'm not feeling it right now. It just cannot be Oscars related. It cannot be horror film related. Those are just my two special, very fervent requests. What what am I supposed to talk about? Charlie D'Amelio? Whoever (laughs) these... I don't even know what is pop culture these days. I'm too old. Pop culture is whatever you find interesting in the very vast pop culture landscape. You don't have to try and keep up with the young ones. 
Okay. People who listen to us are two of a certain age. (laughs) Some of them. (laughs) Some are much younger. Some are much older. I'm proud to have that that spectrum. Okay. I'll think about it. Thanks again to everybody who's contributed to our GoFundMe. You're... Oh, you're... Amazing. Just amazing. Like you said, we're up to like 55% of our overall goal. If you've enjoyed the show over the years, if you're able to, please consider shooting us a tip, a donation. You can find the link at linktree.com slash thebodyserve or, you know, just Google GoFundMe and the Body Serve, mm-hmm. or either of our names. There are many ways to find us. $75 or over, we will send you a postcard, handwritten, new designs, and a bookmark. Or two. Well, I think we did, yeah, we did sure. two we'll, bookmarks we'll do last two. time. Yeah, we can't go from two to one. I know that it's been inflation, but like... <laughs> Thanks for tagging along for 2022. Season eight, eight seasons in the books. Just today, I got the Twitter notification that eight years ago today, we created the BodyServe Twitter account. Yes, you were a little previous with the account because you wanted to like, you know, put the name out there. It was very smart. Well, not only, but I wanted to make sure that the one that we settled on was available. Yes. So it made sense. But then once that happened... Then it became kind of real, right? Because we, we had to. You had to. You had to be like pulled along for the ride Forced. at the start. I did not want to do it. You're like, I am not doing that. I hate the sound of my voice. This is stupid. Who's gonna want to listen to us? Uh, and 280 something episodes later, 25. Some people are listening, yeah. and we appreciate that. Eight seasons. Never expected to be here. But, you know, life throws you curveballs. But you know what? We're still here. My name is Jonathan. You can find me on Twitter at tennis underscore John. And I'm James at Elliot JMR. Two L's, two T's. Thank you for listening. See you real soon. That was like the Mickey Mouse Club ending. What's the last line? M-O-U-S-E-K-E-Y. M-O-U-S-E. Till next time. Thank you. Thank you very much.